Hey everybody, I'm Zachary Teen of Warrior Teen Productions, and I'd like to welcome you all to the Zets Film Odyssey podcast, a podcast designed to track my journey through the film industry as I make my way into becoming a filmmaker. I'd like to welcome you all to episode 4, a movie is 40% visual and 60% audio. As we sit down with Nick Laws and learn a little bit about his story and what he can leave us with. So how are you doing today, Nick? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you here. All right, so we're going to start off by letting our listeners know who you are. So just tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into film, and where you are right now in your life. Well, um, I got a late start to filmmaking, I guess. I was a business major, and I went to, you know, I got worked my way up sort of the corporate ladder, I guess, into a pseudo-management job and um, said I really didn't like that the same time I was, I ran my own business. I ran a, a club called Sector 7G. So I was, and I was doing a lot of live sound for bands and then recording for bands. And so I had kind of an audio background. While I was at my uh, terrible, you know, office job, I decided, you know, this is just not doing it for me creatively. So I started learning everything I could. We had you know, we had very restricted internet access, but I did have access to uh, lynda.com, which is, you know, for anybody who doesn't know, it's a site that offers a lot of online video training courses, primarily in like software, but they also do, you know, have some other sort of hands-on, you know, video production classes. And so I learned everything I could about basically Adobe software, Premiere Pro, After Effects, um, you know, Photoshop, and just anything... I just soaked it all up. I watched like 200 or 250 hours or something like that of video training. I took a pay cut and got myself a job at a production company doing, uh, well, I guess you would call it a, a predator, producer, editor, just does everything. And then um, they moved to a TV station and then to an ad agency. And then all the while I had been doing freelance stuff. Uh, just on my own, shooting odd jobs and weddings and things like that. And then finally in uh, November 2017, went full-time freelance. And um, also about that time, I decided that I would focus, I guess, a little bit more on being a sound guy and, and sort of marketing myself as a sound guy to you know film productions and also other production companies in town. So that's, it's been working out pretty good for me. I think I'm kind of becoming known as like the sound guy in Augusta or, a, you know, a sound guy. <laughs> and, uh, and that's certainly what I was going for. So it's, it's been uh, working out pretty good so far. All right. All right. I've uh, gone a lot of the same track as you. Like I've mentioned in the first episode, I was in the army for 21 years as an IT guy and I did a lot of the same thing where University of YouTube, Professor Google, yeah, to learn where I'm at today. Mm -hmm. And I'm still doing that. I'm still learning a whole lot. You know, I talked um, in the filmmakers meeting about uh, MZ. You know, I've I've been learning a lot using that, and uh, you know, YouTube. I got a pretty healthy <laughs> YouTube subscription uh, list. Always looking to, you know, to learn more. That's sort of been, and and actually. It's been such a passion of mine to kind of learn that I've also begun to teach a little bit. You know, I've had some classes mm -hmm, on mm -hmm. uh, editing and, and some 
classes on sound and stuff like that. And, and truthfully, I think I probably enjoyed that and got more out of that than anybody who took the class. But um, that, that was, uh, it was good for me, I think, and uh, something I might want to continue in the future. Now, you mentioned Southeast Filmmakers Group, which you are the president of. Congratulations. Thank you. El Presidente. How, how important are those groups to people who want to become filmmakers who don't know how to get started? Well, I'll tell you, I have probably the best story with the Southeastern Filmmakers. Because I started going, I want to say it was 2012 when I started going. I could be way off. <laughs> But I, th I think it was 2012, and um, it was very small. I think there was like maybe six six or eight people at the first meeting I went to. But it just immediately felt like a nice community, and like everybody was just there to kind of help out each other. And I just love that community aspect of it. And so that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to kind of keep that community aspect of it while still taking it up a notch and trying to bring in new members and things like that. But I think at one of the... The Christmas parties or the rap party or whatever you know they called it is when I reconnected with Mark Crump, and that's how I ended up getting a couple of like kind of freelance jobs. Ended up getting a job with his company to get me out of the corporate job. That was tremendous for me, you know, because uh, you know we both played in bands and we played shows together, but I didn't really know him, so this was a good way to you know. Someone gets up and says, hey, I need somebody that can do like a, a quick motion graphics thing, you know, lo animate a logo. And I say, well, I can do that, you know. And then next thing you know, I've got a new job. And so that's the kind of connections that you can really make at a place like Southeastern Filmmakers. And that's why it's so important, I think, to kind of keep it going. You just never know who you're going to meet. And in this industry, uh, you know, sadly, it's not always about what you know. It's about who you know. The old adage stays true. <laughs> You know, I like to say it's a little bit of both, but putting the the right if you put the right talent in front of the right people, then it'll just work out. You know. Mark Crump as well had a huge impact on my career. Our our paths have pretty That's much true. been doing par parallel here so far. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And I think we both kind of. I think we both might have gotten a little bit later start. I wish. You know, I'm 37 now. I wish that I was where I am now when I was like. 25 <laughs> or younger even you know um of course everything was different and you know i don't i wouldn't i don't really have any regrets i wouldn't change much i do feel like i have i've, I've taken it a little bit slow you know i i never i didn't when i when i started making videos and um and getting into film i didn't immediately say i want to be the next you know spielberg or i didn't dive headfirst into like I'm going to make a feature film you know I, I have taken it very slowly and it's even now you know my first terrible short film in like 2012 and here I am like seven years later and I'm just now getting to the point where I think you know I could probably work on a feature film not like make one myself but uh you know I could maybe be a boom op on a, <laughs> or a sound mixer you know on a, on a feature film so not to say that anybody shouldn't dive headfirst in, but it, you know, uh, I think it's it's good to know uh, to have a, a gauge of where you are, where you want to be, and what you think you can be. Cool, cool, cool. You call yourself a sound guy. Mm -hmm. That that's where your your primary focus is. So, say someone did give you a script to do a feature project, mm -hmm. 
How would you prepare for that for a feature film being a sound mixer or a boom operator or a one man band as most sound people are these days on set? <laughs> yeah, um, well, that would probably would be the first question is like, do I get a boom op? <laughs> <laughs> Even you know, working on the things that I have, it's it's tough in a narrative film workflow. It's it's tough to to monitor everybody and boom, you know. So it would be nice to have a boom up. <laughs> Basically, familiarizing yourself with the set. I mean, with the script and then with um, the crew. So you know, your DP and your ACs are going to be like your best friend because you're going to be constantly asking them where where are you shooting, where can I be, you know, and then. Um, you know, if they, you know, if they like you, sometimes they'll help you out. They'll say, you know, oh, is this light going to be a problem if I put it here? And then you can kind of have that conversation. If they uh, don't like you, then they're just going to be like, well, this is where the light is. You need to, <laughs> you need to adjust. <laughs> um, so that would be the biggest thing is kind of just building up that rapport with the crew so that um, everybody's on the same page. You know? Okay. And would there be any changes if, say, it was television compared to a film? I don't know. You know, I haven't worked in a lot of television. I've done, you know, a ton of corporate and, and that sort of gig. You know, and the film sets that I've been on have been pretty small. I haven't done any what I would call like a a major, you know, budget feature yet. And this hopefully, you know, knock on wood, is the year of Nick breaks into the features. <laughs> you are the president now, and that's how the president's that's, been rolling. That's how it works. <laughs> but actually, just now, you know, I really have been building up my uh, equipment list for that, and then my skill set, of course, for that, and also just getting myself in a position where, you know, I can take that much time because, you know, before when I was working, you know, my nine to five, I couldn't just take off three weeks and go and shoot a film and expect, you know, my job to be there waiting for me when I get back. The freelance lifestyle that I have now is much, you know, more forgiving in that sense. And so that's, um, you know, even if I haven't, didn't necessarily say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going full-time freelance so that I can be in features, it has kind of worked out that way. And that's, so that's a good uh, side effect, I guess, of it. Okay. Now, a lot of our listeners probably don't know what goes into sound on a movie set. They've seen pictures like the boom mic operators, probably the best thing they know about sound on a movie set. Could you break down what actually, like a full mm -hmm. audio crew on a set would look like? Sure. So ideally you'd have three people. So you'd have um, the sound mixer is the one who is the head of the sound department and is going to, you know, physically press record and stop and actually keep an eye on all the levels. And the boom op is strictly going to operate the boom. Um, and then you might have a sound utility who's kind of in charge of uh, just keeping all the, the wires run, lobbing people up, just keeping all the, um, handling all of the, uh, the things that need to be done, sort of like the assistant uh, of the sound department. Um, you know, when, uh, that, so the, the sound mixer would typically have like a cart and just like a big rack of, you know, equipment, the level that I'm at, I don't actually have a cart yet. 
and that's something I would like to kind of build into in the future. And what I have is sort of a bag setup, which is good for smaller shoots. It's good for anything kind of corporate, like a regular kind of video gig. It's going to be good for that, and I use it all the time for that, you know, doing commercials and other video productions and things like that. So the mixer and all your wireless units sit inside a bag that's around your back on a harness, and then you have to kind of hold your own boom um, and monitor levels. So you just sort of like, you get a, a decent level for your, you know, all, everything that you can. And then if you need to make an adjustment, <laughs> then you kind of have to like hold the boom and awkwardly try and, you know, adjust things on your, on your bag uh, as you can. But, and that's typically is pretty good. You're a little bit limited, you know, because you have to focus a lot on keeping that boom in just the right place. Like there's really, there's the key to good sound is, is the right mic in the right place at the right time. And that's as easy as it, it can be. That means, you know, you kind of have to know the script a little bit. You have to know, at least after, you know, a take or two, you have to be able to cue the mic back and forth between characters. You know, so if character on the left is saying a line, then you know about when that line's going to end so you can move the mic uh, over to the character on the right and that sort of thing. So you really have to, I mean, that's a whole job in itself. And that's why, I mean, if you talk to, a, and I've, I haven't had a lot of experience with like big name, you know, uh, kind of Hollywood boom or uh, sound mixers. But um, one that I talked to was basically like, look, the boom operator is doing all the work. They're the ones that are putting the mic in the right place at the right time. And they're, you know, making sure that the, it's right on the sweet spot uh, of the mic. Uh, you know, the sound mixer, you know, is the one that's really just kind of overseeing that. So, uh, a good boom op will make or break the sound. And that's one of the things that I, I probably, I need to, I need to get myself an apprentice so I can, I, I need to find a good boom op, the yin to my yang or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> and for those who've not held a boom mic, they can get pretty long and pretty heavy really quick if you're holding it properly. They do. They do. Uh, and I, <laughs> I was on set all day. Today, before this recording, I can attest to that, especially because the the way that, that we were filming today, they shot a lot of wides, you know, and that's where you really have to extend the pole almost as long as you can and and, and keep keep it up high. You know, I bring an apple box so I can stand on it, so that sometimes I can kind of keep the boom a little bit lower rather than having to keep my arms raised all the way. I can kind of keep it down about chest level and that, it helps helps a lot, but um, you know when you're running a, a five minute scene, you know, and then they get through it all, and you're like, oh great, and then the director's like, okay, reset, we're doing it again, uh, and then you're like, oh, and do it again. <laughs> <laughs> it uh, it it does get a bit a bit tiring for sure. So when would you lean more towards lav mics, which are like your lapel mics, right. from, other than a boom? Well. There's a couple of uh, circumstances. Typically, you know, we try and run both. So I'll run a boom mic and lav mics. And the reason for that is kind of twofold. If anything, they have different sound characteristics. That's kind of a little bit hard to describe. The boom typically sounds better and more natural. And that's what you generally want to use in your edit. However, there's certain circumstances where if the shot is like super wide, you're just not going to be able to get the mic close enough 
the boom mic that is to get a good sound. And so in that case, you might run the the, the lav mics. And I was uh, watching a video. Uh, there's a store in New York and Atlanta called Gotham Sound, and they sell sound equipment. They're pretty cool, but they have a YouTube channel, and they were had a uh, a good example of where they couldn't really use a boom is in this movie if Beale Street could talk and there's basically the camera does a full 360 view of the entire room and in that case there's just no way that you can get a boom operator in there and, and consistently run audio because the the camera I mean it's just physically going to turn around there's just no way for the you know they can't do that kind of dance and keep the mic in the right spot so in, in a circumstance like that or a super wide shot, then you kind of have to rely on the on the lobs. And it's what I would say is if you're going to do that, you kind of want to do that for you, probably the whole scene if you can, so you don't switch back and forth because you might notice, you know, if you switch back and forth between lob and the boom. And lob mics are, you know, there's a skill in placing them and making sure that you have kind of the right set up so that you don't get a lot of clothes wrestling. We had an actor today and we loved him up and you know you typically you put the you hide the mic underneath like a shirt kind of right on the chest maybe you know six or eight inches down on their chest and he was wearing like this leather jacket old leather <laughs> jacket it's just his you know that's his costume we can't really change that and like the whole time if you know if you listen to the lot you could just hear it it was just creaking and, and rustling the whole time like good leather should yeah and i mean that's how it is but you know and i talked i told the director you know he said that's okay we've got the boom we'll rely on that you know and uh, so that's the kind of that's the kind of communication that has to go back and forth uh between the the sound guy and the director and even sometimes like the art department if you get an opportunity you might say Hey, this room is really lively. Can we put like a rug down, and it'll help to kind of soak up some of those reflections and that sort of thing? Or you might say, um, "We're gonna uh, hide a mic behind this pole or something like that." Just whatever you can do to get the mic in the right spot. Yeah. What are some of the things you do to not have bleed over? Say you have lav mics on two of the actors, mm-hmm. and they're having a conversation. How how does actor A's lines mm-hmm. not bleed over into actor B's lav? Well, it will. You know, typically when you're mixing in post, you know, ideally, it, like I said, you're using that boom mic, and the boom mic will kind of cue back and forth between the two, you know, actors. If you have to rely on those live mics, then in post, you're typically kind of mixing one down when they're not speaking and then mixing the other one back up. You can, I mean, you're going to get, you're going to get bleed. Uh, from from mics and you know if you're doing like a, a corporate interview or something like that you kind of almost have to like fully mute somebody's mic if they're standing right next to somebody else this you know speaking and that's just kind of the way it goes but yeah if you rely on that boom mic it's going to sound a little bit more more natural and you can kind of follow the perspective of the camera what is something you learned from a mistake you've made on set oh oh man you know, I've made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> you know, I, I learned pretty quickly that I was not, I didn't have the right, I hate to call it equipment, but I didn't have the right tools to get 
a good live sound. And by that, I mean, I'm still kind of working out how to get a good live sound. I bought, you know, some good live mics. Like the ones that I love, my, I love my uh, Sankin Cost 11Ds. They have a lot of accessories. There's like a whole ecosystem kind of built around them. They come with these little rubber um, things. You can slide them in, then you can stick those to people. And then they have uh, these little clips that you can put the mic into and then put the clip inside like a tie or a shirt. There's actually one that I, I just got a set of these uh, yesterday. I tried them on the set today. There's actually uh, one clip that holds the mic and it has a, a clip that can just go right on a bra strap. So that's really convenient because that's exactly where you want the mic, right in the middle there. And then it's reusable, so I don't have to waste any kind of sticky tape type things or anything like that. But that, you know, and with with the proper kind of mic accessories, I guess, you eliminate a lot of that clothes wrestle. You get a, rid of a lot of that uh, stray noise and things like that. So Okay. It's all about having the right tool for the job, I guess. Now, Mitzin, after you're done on set, and you've already taught that you've worked post as well, as some of the software you mentioned, After mm-hmm. Effects, stuff like that. Yeah. What is the main job? Because now you hand the audio over to the sound engineer, correct? Yeah, I mean, for everything that I've done, it's it's been kind of just going straight to an editor, whoever's going to edit the, you know, the film, the piece, or whatever. So I haven't worked specifically with like a, a dedicated like audio mixer, I guess, post audio mixer or like, um, you know, so I, I'm not sure exactly how it will be different, but I mean, I've edited a lot of this, you know, the stuff that I've shot. Yeah. Typically though, I mean, once it's, once they have it, it's in their hands and I tell them, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll give them notes. I'll be like, Hey, you know, the, you know, the boom's going to sound better here or it's going to sound worse here or whatever. So, Okay, because yeah. that and that that kind of factors into it too. Sometimes you you get into a room, you know, we were, we were shooting in a very small room once, and it was like the boom, it's just not cutting it here. It's just not sounding good. But the lobs sounded great, so I just told the editor, I was like, hey, you know, you might want to try those lobs before you use the boom on this, you know. And it's totally up to them. But but the goal, for me anyway, is to get good audio, not have to re-record any of that audio in post. Because that's a pain in the butt and always sounds bad. But, you know, and I haven't done a lot of crazy things, but like if you're, you know, if you see somebody in a helicopter, typically that's not the audio that they were speaking on the day of, you know, because <laughs> the helicopters are very loud. But that's a good opportunity, you know, where you're going to have to use ADR. But even if you're doing that, you want to get as good as you can, even if you know you can't use it, because you know they're going to have to listen to that later and try and sync it up and try and um, re record to that track so you just try and do the best you can and get the best sound and even like sound effects things like um you know if they're just getting an insert shot of uh somebody putting a glass down or something like that go ahead and record audio on it because if it sounds good then that's something that they don't have to do later in foley you know which for a lot of us independent people you know is annoying and we don't have the right setup for it and things like that so or monthly subscriptions the sound effect library exactly yeah yeah yeah, that's you know that's a good tip though actually uh, Adobe, if you have a Creative Cloud subscription, kind of if you go into uh, in in Audition there's a like a help menu, and then there's a a link on that help menu you can go and download I think three or four gigs of sound effects and they're all like royalty free come with your subscription, 
Um, there's some really good stuff in there. So if you just need simple stuff, cars, you know, engines and things like that, they got all that stuff. It's really good. I'm currently with my YouTube channel fighting royalty free because uh, I used audio block subscription. Mm-hmm. And someone is saying it's their piano. And I'm like, no, this is where I bought it. So I'm in one of those <laughs> fights with one of my hockey videos. So. Oh, no. Yeah. Sound effects are weird because a, a, a lot of, uh, I, so I hear anyway, that a lot of editors, sound editors, just have their own, like, you know, huge library that they built up over the years of sound effects. And it's not like music where, you know, typically, you know, are, you're supposed to pay for all that stuff for mm-hmm. every production and things like that. The sound effects are so indistinctive that, you know, oftentimes you can just, you, people just get away with using, you know, the, the same ones over and over again or not having a, you know, a distinct license, I guess, for each individual use or something like that. But As you said, you stepped out on your own, your own freelancing and everything like that. What is a big, something big that Nick Laws wants to do here in the future? Other than work a feature as a sound mm-hmm. guy, but something like really big that's, you know, even at the back of your head saying, you should do this. Really big. Okay. I've got, I, I it just so happens I have the, the perfect answer for you. <laughs> Recently, I was talking with a producer, and she, she kind of was talking about these really cheap movies, like getting together four or five movies that you can shoot for like 20 grand a piece. You know, make them super simple, Maybe like, you know, they have, in Hollywood, they call them like a two-hander. If it has kind of like maybe just two characters, most mostly in uh, like one location, very limited storytelling, something like that. And I said, you know, that's the exact type of thing that I want to do. So, so that's maybe not anytime real soon, but, you know, it's kind of stereotypical, but what I really want to do is direct. <laughs> <laughs> No, I I have um, you know I've direct, directed a few short films and you know I I'm I market myself as a sound guy, but I also know a lot about camera. I've done DP on a lot of short films. Uh, like I said, I directed a lot of things, and uh, so I'm never really happy just sort of you know settling on one thing. I guess uh, so that might be you know a goal for me is to kind of be able to to make a really a really cheap feature that I can direct. Also, every time I go to these film festivals, we just got done with the Southern City Film Festival. Um, I'm I'm kind of on the committee for Black Hat Picture Show, which I love, and then Poison Peach, which is always a lot of fun. And every time I go to these things, or I see somebody making like a you know a a decent short film and what I mean by decent short film is like not that it's a good quality but that it has a good crew you know anything <laughs> anything basically where they're getting the grip truck and like this is a real production you know it's not just like me and my camera um I get I get, I really want to do that <laughs> <laughs> I want to be able to say you know I I had a crew of qualified people helping me out on this you know project it might be a short film it might be a feature or whatever so so yeah, um, always kind of working, I guess, towards bigger and better things, you know. As we all should. As we all should. Right. I mean, I have my dreams, as you can see here on the backboard, as I'm trying to write something. This is, this yeah. is actually supposed to be a feature. 
Yeah. So right now I have my slug lines. That's all I got. So, but hopefully it'll turn into something great, and we'll all have fun making it here in Augusta, as Thank we you. try to build the film community here, because we do have a lot of talented people. As you heard last week, we talked with Denton Atkinson. Today oh, yeah. we were here with uh, Nick Laws. And we have a great talent pool of actors as well here. Yeah, we're um, we're lucky in a lot of ways that we do have such a good film community, and that it's it's good. We have a lot of people, but it's not it's not like Atlanta. You can still be you know a big fish in a small pond, you know, as opposed to Atlanta, where you know you're just a minnow in the ocean, you know. So, uh, more like a teardrop in the ocean, <laughs> right? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, that's what I like about um, Augusta. You know, like I said before, I've been kind of slowly working my way into you know films and things like that. And if I guess if I really had wanted to, I could probably move to Atlanta or, or whatever, or move to LA or New York or whatever, and, and really pushed hard, you know. But I, I like to let things kind of happen organically and and let it uh, let it go how it, it you know it wants to go. Yeah, yeah. We're running out of time, so one last question. Leave the. It's not really a question. It's more of like I'm gonna leave the mic to you. You just give them some knowledge and what you want to leave them with and how to contact you if they would like to hire Nick Laws for an event. Sure thing. Uh, so. Some of the best advice, I guess, that I've seen lately. Um, I was actually working on a website for the Southeastern filmmakers, and I, you know, pulled in some. I just typed in film quotes or you know um, filmmaking quotes, and the first one that came up was really appropriate, and it was from James Cameron. And uh, I'm probably butchering it, but he said, you know, go out. Uh, make a film, you know, no matter how bad it is, it can be, you know, can star your sister or your friends or whatever, but you made a film, put your name on it as a director, and now you're a director, and everything from here on out is just negotiating your budget and your rate. Uh, and I, I love that kind of spirit of, like, let's, uh, let's just go out and be creative and, and make things, and that's what I'm always trying to promote in the Southeastern filmmakers and you know things don't always have to be the best they just you just have to keep creating and doing the best you can with what you've got and that's going to get you a lot further than you know not making things and you know spending all your time you know uh, theorizing about all these things it's all about you know practicing you know every day and that's part of what we did with the Southeast Filmmakers with the monthly challenges. I want people to, if you're kind of like me, sometimes you need a little encouragement to like get out there and shoot something. So I'm going to give you an excuse. I'm going to give you a reason to. But just keep doing it. And if you're, you know, and when people ask me, oh, I was thinking about getting into like video production and things like that. And I said, well, you just do it until somebody pays you for it. So that means if you you know, video your friend's wedding and you do a really good job, uh, then somebody else is going to see that video and they're going to say, hey, how much for you to, you know, do my wedding? And then you give them a price. And then the next person is going to see that and it's going to be even better because you've learned a little bit and then you can raise that price. And eventually, 
you're making a living making videos, you know, and that's kind of how I've done it. So that's, you just do it until somebody pays you for it. So I have a, a freelance business, nicklawsvideo.com. It's my website. All my contact info is on there. I do just about everything from, I did a birth announcement. I've done funerals and everything in between. <laughs> I do, I, I do a handful of weddings a year. I do corporate events and things like that. I'm happy to work with you on your next project. If you need a good sound guy, then uh, give me a call. All right. Well, thank Nick for joining us today. Thanks for having me. All right. So everybody, we're going to be wrapping up here. Let's remember, you can find Nick Laws at nicklawsvideo.com. You'll find the link in the description. Also, all the software and equipment that we talked about in here, we are not endorsed by any of them. They don't pay for any of the show or either one of us did a kickback. These are just softwares and training tools that we like using and just take it at that. So other than that, it, I really hope you enjoyed today's show. And until next time, reach for the stars and chase your dreams. And I'll see you on that week.